Before I get into the message tonight, I just want to give you all an update. Uh, several weeks ago, we began a process to elect some new elders. And um, so the way that process goes is we first open it up to the community to um, submit uh, nominations of people in the community who exhibit the characteristics and leadership uh, that would be kind of conducive of an elder. And uh, we've been going through that process the last few weeks, and our existing elder team has gone through those names. And let me just say, there were so many wonderful people nominated for that, and um, we're so grateful for all of you who took time to consider that and pray through that and um, seek the Lord in that. And it was really significant. These, these things are really significant for us as a church, for us as a people. And the next part of that is as our current team of elders has gone through those names, we want to bring to you um, the list of nominees for our next round of elders. And um, so we have a, kind of a window of time for you all to give us feedback. If there are any things that maybe you know about these people that we don't know about them. But we've, uh, we, we feel pretty certain about our process of conversation with them and prayer with the Lord um, and uh, so there are five names, um, Anne and Paul Alexander, who are currently elders, um, continuing on as part of our elder team, um, welcoming um, three new names as well, um, Annie and Greg Singleton, who many of you... Oh! Okay, hold on. Let me back up and say again then, Paul and Anne Alexander. Okay. And... Um, Another just friend of our community, Landon Pontius, yeah? Um, and um, so those five names are names that as we as an existing elder team prayed through them, we felt like as we considered so many things, including what is it like for a group of people to sit in the room and seek the Lord together, um, those are the five names that we kind of felt the Lord leading us to. And so we just want to open that up to you to consider those five names um, and together, those five um, can continue to seek the Lord about what our elder team looks like. Um, again, there were so many people who were nominated that we really prayed a lot through and were so thankful for, and there are so many uh, wonderful leaders in our community. So as these five move forward, they'll also have the opportunity to potentially at some point be strategic about considering a few more additions to that team, um, but we would leave that to them um, for them to consider that with the Lord. So right now, those five um, want you to pray through that, and if you have anything, I think the email address is elder at citybeautiful.ch. Um, so thanks for engaging in that. It's a really, I think, exciting time. And our church, in a lot of ways, is going through several changes um, that are really exciting, and that being one of them, as we consider, Lord, like, who are you putting in place to lead us well? Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, get into this next part of our series. Um, Lord, we love you. We thank you for, gosh, so many people in this room tonight who are seeking you with our lives are seeking you with our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, would you come in a powerful way and continue to lead us, continue to shape us, continue to increase in us trust and faith in huge ways that are beyond what we can muster up in our own human ability. God, we pray for supernatural faith as a people. We love you, and we thank you for the things that you're doing among us. Bless this time together as we uh, seek out what it means to truly worship you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So for the last several months, we've been looking at this idea of family living in heavenly reality, and we've been talking about what it means to be spiritual family. We've been talking about kind of the tenets of what it means for us to be people who seek the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we would be people who are revealing the realities of heaven and everything that we do. We've looked at relationship, we've looked at leadership, uh, we've looked at several other things, and tonight we begin the process of asking the question, what is worship? And what does it mean for us to be people who live a life of worship as a central tenet of what it means for us to be people who usher in the goodness of God and the realities of heaven every day in our lives? And for me, worship is something that's like really a big part of my life and has been for a really long time. I mean, I grew up at a small Baptist church um, here in Orlando, and I remember like practicing like my songs on the piano as a little kid for like the offertory special while they passed the offering plates. And like I grew up singing in church, you know, and I would play the piano and sing a song. I remember there was a song like it's a, I think it's probably an old hymn called Sweet Hour of Prayer. And I like learned it on the piano and played it in our church service one day during the offering. And, um, and then later on moved to a, another church. And as I was a teenager in the youth group, began leading worship there and really exploring what it meant to move from this idea of just like singing songs and really leading people to engage the heart of God. And I think God in, in a lot of ways had gifted me to do that. And I learned a lot along the way of what it meant to like enter into a space and use music as this like conduit for the the Lord's presence and to gather people together with one voice and one heart and one spirit and to like as a worship leader consider like Lord what are you doing right now like how is your spirit moving in this place and how can I as a leader bring people together to kind of convene with you in these things that you're doing and um, you know as a 15 year old beginning to probably experience a lot of those things in ways that I didn't even necessarily understand, but I think the Lord beginning to like attune my heart and my my ears and my eyes spiritually to really understand him and to see him. And um, I did that for a long time, traveled for a while and would go lead worship at camps and um, all kinds of denominations and all kinds of environments. And sometimes it was for a week and sometimes it was for an hour and um, just experiencing so many different things. I remember going to like some of these camps and they you know, the camp leadership would be like, if, could you just like play some pop songs? And I was like, sure, we can do that. But um, we really believe that like the Lord has gifted us to even meet middle schoolers to like in, in, invite them into a passionate pursuit of God and an encounter with him. And always by the end of the week, just like having such a wonderful time taking people on this journey of, yeah, we do music at church and it's fun and we jump up and down, which I love. Um, but seeing the deep like in, encounter we have with God in those moments of music. And so worship has been a huge part of my life, something that I've really, really loved. And tonight, I want to kind of look beyond that picture of what we know of worship. And we'll talk about that, Janae, in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about what it means for us to engage with God in music. But tonight, I want us to look at what it means to live a life of worship, for us to really kind of go beyond those kind of spiritual moments, to recognize the deep, powerful spiritual moments that we encounter every moment of our life and the choices that we have that allow us to engage every moment of life as an act of worship. 
As we look at this idea of worship, like even in the Old and New Testaments, you know, there's this concept of worship. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the definitions and the uses are really similar. And both of them kind of really specifically talk about posture. So in the Old Testament, when the word worship is used, um, it means to bow down, to prostrate oneself before uh, a superior and homage, before God and worship, before false gods, before angels, this idea that we're posturing ourselves in a specific way before these different entities. And that same kind of picture in the New Testament of kneeling or prostration to do homage, to make obeisance, whether in order to express respect or to make supplication. And again, these like different uses and moments where people are bowing down and kind of giving their lives over to something. And as we think about that, what does it look like for us to do that in moments of musical worship? But what does it also look like for us to do that in every moment of life, for us to make our lives acts of worship, for us to bow down over and over again in every moment. And as I was considering, okay, like, Lord, this is how I see this word used in scripture. This is how I've experienced this word throughout my life. For me, I, as I was, I was praying through this this morning, I just came to this phrase. A life of worship is the process of continually discovering the unique song you're meant to sing. And we, in our musical times of worship, often have these spaces where we just invite people to sing before the Lord. And I think that's what our life is like. Like God is constantly inviting us to open up our creative souls before him and say like, Lord, what is the song that you're writing through my life? What are the words that you're birthing within my mouth and in my heart and in my spirit? And how does my life sing a song of worship to you? And I just want to kind of stress tonight that every single one of us have a song that our lives are meant to, to sing, and that no one else can sing the song that God is birthing through you. And that's not like some sort of humanistic, like, oh, you're special and that kind of thing. It is a deeply like, Im, Im, like birth thing from the heart of God to say, you're special, like God is using you and making you for a purpose and he wants to reveal aspects and components of worship in and through you. And so tonight as we look at this concept of our, our lives being a song to be sung in worship to God, we're going to look at three things, purpose, choice, and evolution, purpose, choice, and evolution. Um, and so we're going to kind of move through those, and I'll, I'll show us tonight how all of those things, when we look at our lives, kind of come together uh, for us to sing a song of worship with our life. So let's start with this purpose. Our lives become worship when we acknowledge and align with God's declarations about and call to us. So our lives become worship when we recognize the declarations God is making about us and the call that God has placed on our lives. And we commit ourselves to coming to alignment with that picture. And when we do that, our lives become this unique song that reveal the character of God and declare the worth of God in really unique ways. The very first time the word worship is translated as worship in our Old Testament uh, in English is Genesis uh, chapter 22, Abraham and Isaac going to the altar. 
And this is the first moment of worship that we see, this moment of sacrifice. But before we get to Genesis 22, we have Genesis chapter 17, which is this declaration from God over Abraham about who Abraham is and what his life is meant to be. This song that God wants to sing to the world through Abraham. And it says this, beginning in verse 1 of Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of you and your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And, and God is declaring a, over Abraham this declaration about who he is supposed to be. So Abraham has lived almost a hundred years without having a child of his own with his wife, Sarah. And God is coming to him as a 99-year-old man and saying, I am about to make you a great nation. Through you and your people will be multiple descendants and kingdoms, and you will make great nations. And he's telling this man who seems to be far beyond the age of childbearing this huge declaration about who he is supposed to be. And even in this moment, in the same kind of conversation that God and Abraham have, God tells him, God promises Isaac, and he even names Isaac, and he says, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Isaac, and through Isaac, all of these nations will come. Well, five chapters later, many of us know the story where God says to Abraham, take this son Isaac, who I promised you and told I would make nations through and take him onto the mountain and sacrifice him. And this is the first time we see the word worship used in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 22. And, and Abraham says it. He says to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And so we see Abraham constantly asking the question, Lord, what is the song that you're writing through my life? What is the identity that you're declaring about who I am? And what is the call that you have on my life, even when I don't understand it? And so Abraham knows that God has said he wants to bear nations through him and his descendants. Yet at the same time, God has said, hey, the call I have on your life right now is to go make your son Isaac a sacrifice. And so Abraham goes in obedience and he does it and he is setting up this wood maybe slowly thinking that maybe God is going to do something else or say something else or make another way and eventually he picks his son up and he lays him down on this wood and he's about to make a sacrifice of him as an act of worship as he responds to God's call on his life that if any of us got this message today we would say absolutely not. Not just because it's our child, but because of everything that would come with that request. 
And even as we look back on this, it seems too unbelievable to believe. And there Abraham is, and as he's moved to this place of putting his own son, this promise that God has made him on the altar, God says, never mind. I was just wanting to see how much I can trust you. There's a lamb over there in the bushes. Go get it and let that be your sacrifice. And Abraham is constantly asking God, what is the song that you're singing through my life? What is the declaration that you're saying about who I am and what is the call that you have over me? And living into the uniqueness of who you are maximizes your ability to display, to display God's glory through your life. Abraham had this amazing moment, this amazing opportunity to make his life a testimony of the power of God and the goodness of God and the grace of God as he stepped beyond his human understanding into a really difficult place. And God made a way. And God, Abraham was able to sing a song about the glory of God because of what God was doing through his life in that moment and his willingness to be obedient to the call of God on his life. And the same is true for all of us. And so I'm just going to share a little bit about my story and about how I've experienced this in my life over the last several months. Um, in January of this year, as we were all considering as a church, like what is the word that defines our lives for 2016? Um, and each of us were asking that question. For me, I came to this word beauty. Really felt like the Lord was stirring in me, like pursue and create moments of beauty this year in 2016, and I've had some really wonderful opportunities to do that and have been able to partner some, with some really wonderful friends to do some fun things and, and looking forward to how God continues to do that as I pursue this kind of call for my life in 2016 as a year of beauty and creating and experiencing those kinds of moments. And I think the Lord began stirring something in me in that time that continued to kind of grow and grow. And I was kind of wondering, like, Lord, what does all this mean for me? And a couple weeks ago, I spoke on leadership. And the thing that I spoke on leadership about was, are we leaders who are willing to say yes to the unknown and take the risk of stepping into those things, even when we can't see the other side? And that being a central tenet of worship. And after the second service that night, I walked right down those stairs and I stood behind that curtain and I felt like I was in this existential crisis of asking, Lord, am I doing this in my life? This thing that I'm like asking people of our church to do, is it true for me? And I pursued that conversation with my small group that Tuesday, and I thought a lot about it and prayed through it with the Lord. And the thing that I began to understand as I kind of talked and prayed through it was like, I am taking a lot of risks in my life. There are things that I'm doing that I'm giving myself to that are far beyond my human capability or things that could totally and utterly fail. But one of the things that I discovered is that I'm not taking the kinds of risks that God is calling me into in the things that mean the most to me and in the things and areas that um, give me the most life. And so that kind of sent me in a spin. It was like, okay, well, what do I do with that? And at that point, like, I just felt like I had to be at a point where I was willing literally to just, like, this moment with Abraham come and lay it all down and say, all right, like, Lord, what do you want me to kill? And what do you want me to sacrifice? And, and what do you want to do in this moment? And um, coming kind of to the other side of that time and that journey and that, that time struggle, um, I ended up sending Paul uh, a text message and saying, hey, like, I have a proposal about what my life looks like in relationship to our church um, moving forward and, um, and proposed uh, to our elders that 
um, I would step out of a lot of the um, organizational leadership roles that I've been kind of carrying and walking in and stepping in uh, into over the last um, four or five years and shift my life back into a place of really leading our community creatively and shaping and telling our story um, using the wonderfully creative gifts that are embodied in this people and have been for so long a huge part of our identity. And um, so as we talked about that, it was like almost an immediate, yeah, let's do it. And at the same time, I knew that there were some things that I needed to sacrifice in order to make room in my life. So in addition to that, I made a proposal to say, hey, can I actually go part-time and adjust my salary a little bit? Because one of the most frustrating things, if you've ever tried to do something creative, is to try to do it and have no money to do it. So I said, you know, I, I believe in this so much that like I want to adjust my hours so that we can create a budget for us to be able to tell and shape our story through creativity. And so um, shifting my hours to kind of clear up some money to be able to do that so that as we gather together as people um, and really begin asking what that means to tell our story and shape it through creativity, that we have some means by which to do it. And it, there were also some other things that were in that. For me, I knew that I had to raise the stakes in some areas of my life. Um, there are lots of really wonderful doors that God has opened for me, and uh, there are lots of really wonderful things that I love doing. And uh, those things have been allowed to be peripheral in my life because they're, they, don't, they don't actually hold any weight. Like, I'm a full-time employee here, and I'm so grateful for that, and it's been so wonderful. But because of that, these other things that I care so much about have just been able to be a sidebar to my life. And I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to put more weight in that, and you need to step into some areas of life that require you to have some greater faith in these things that really uh, you're created to do and called to do. So in addition to like being able to reshift and refocus my energy here into helping us shape and tell our story through creativity, I'm also allowed to kind of shift some of my attention and some of my focus throughout the week um, to some of those things that I really love a lot, um, some of those creative opportunities and pursuits that the Lord has been stirring in my life for a long time that I've allowed to be peripheral. And I just felt like God was saying, like, you got to raise the stakes. And not only did I feel like God was saying that, I felt like it was like the makeup of who I was. And not only is it the makeup of who I am, I feel like in so many ways it's the makeup of who we are. And I think that there are some creative avenues and, and bits of creative expression that have defined the identity of who we are as a people that for several years has gone neglected because there hasn't been someone to give it the attention that it deserves. And so I'm excited not only for like this shift in my own life, but I'm excited about what this shift means for us as a people because I think it'll be an opportunity in a moment where God begins to reawaken that piece of our identity. And one of the coolest parts of all this for me was walking through it and, and having to like walk through it with people and seeing how awesome that was. And I was with uh, Garrett and... Uh, Jessica Bott and Janae uh, last Saturday at Jessica's house. And um, we just took some time to listen and prophesy over one another. And it came my turn and uh, Jessica said, hey, this is what I was seeing as we just sat in silence. And I saw you and then I saw this character standing in front of a wall 
And it looked like kind of like an animated version of you, like a cartoon version of you. And you were looking at that picture of you from a distance. And that person was doing something on this wall. And she gave some specifics. I think it had something to do with shapes, right? Making some shapes, like creating things on this wall. And, uh, and she said, I feel like the Lord in this season of your life is asking you to like re-merge those two pieces of who you are because that's such like an integral part of your identity. And uh, she had no idea that we had been having these conversations for the last month, um, that God had been stirring these things in me. And she had no idea that that moment over there happened or that this call to beauty and pursuing it, like that God had been stirring that in me since January. And so it's just been this process of like bringing my life and laying all of those things down on this altar and asking like, Lord, what do you want to kill? And what do you want to bring to life? And in all of that, I feel like it's this process of me understanding this idea that God has a song to sing. Oh, God has a song to sing through each of us. And if we're not allowed, if we're not willing, if we don't have the faith to bring our lives and lay it on the altar before God, we will never live the life that we're meant to live. And we will never worship to the fullness that God is asking us to be worshipers of him because he has a song to sing through us. And each of us has a unique way to do that. <sighs> Thanks, Terry. Uh, thanks. I just let's just sit for a second. <laughs> you can close your eyes. Ah. Uh, and maybe this is just for me, but maybe it's for you too. Like, ask the Lord what he would say to you. God, make us brave. Make us people who are bold, God. Let our lives be a song of worship to you, God. Yes, Lord. Ah, I think for me, I've come to the other side of this process with a renewed belief in this idea that we struggle to know God's will for us. But if God has a, spe a specific directive, you'll know. Otherwise, align, your, align with your divine identity. And I think so many of us live this life of great weight, of like, I have to make the right decision right now or else it's like gone forever. And we look at Moses who had this like directive from God where God came to him and said like, go to Egypt and say this to Pharaoh. Or we look at Mary and the Holy Spirit appearing to Mary and saying, like, you're going to bear 
Jesus, the Savior of the world in your womb, and you're going to give birth to Jesus. And I think when we start making decisions, those are like the matrices we use for the kinds of decisions that we think we're trying to make. But more and more what I'm understanding is what it means to co-labor with God is it means that we continue to discover who he's made us to be and just live into that. Which brings us to this second idea tonight. We've talked about purpose. I want us to talk about choice. Opportunities to live a life of worship happen with every choice we face. Um, My friend Cameron, actually, when we talked about uh, what it was, uh, Cameron, who was leading worship tonight, actually, uh, when we talked about uh, what it was that we were going to kind of pursue this year, the thing that he said was, like, I'm going to one-up my life, like, in all of these areas. Like, I want to one-up. And um, for me, that has kind of, like, taken shape in this idea of raising the stakes, And I think we have the opportunity to raise the stakes with every moment of our life in everything that we do and with every choice that we make, it's an opportunity for us to raise the stakes and be people who live a life of worship. And we have a couple of these like seemingly mundane moments in the New Testament, Acts chapter 6. Um, the apostles are running into trouble with feeding widows. And so they say, hey, we need to find some people who are full of the Holy Spirit to go and feed the widows. And I think when we think of that, it's really easy for us just to say, all right, we just need some people who are organized, right? But what they said was this is a spiritual act and this is a spiritual moment and the seemingly mundane choice is actually a really spiritual thing. And I love watching Mark Vandervenet walk through here, setting up this room before we all arrive because it's a spiritual act of worship for him. In every moment of our lives, no matter what kinds of decisions we're making, we have the opportunity to make those moments of worship in every choice that we make. 1 Corinthians 10.31, there's this big thing in 1 Corinthians 10 about what you can eat and what meat you can't eat and when you should and shouldn't eat the meat and all that stuff. But at the end of it, Paul says to the Corinthians, and I know that we all know this, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So let's start raising the stakes and the small decisions of our life to make those moments matter because they're moments of worship. But at the same time, I want to give us some freedom because I know that there are a lot of people who are in this room tonight who feel the weight of the decisions that we face on a regular basis. And so tonight, if you feel like you're just hands-off laissez-faire about the decisions of your life, I want to invite you into the opportunity to make all those decisions worship. But if you're somebody who's walking around with the weight of choice on your shoulders and you feel like some days you can't breathe because it's too strong, like many of the moments that I've experienced over the last six weeks, I want to offer you freedom because a life of worship is not defined by stress. It embodies the freedom and rest of Christ. In those moments where we think like, oh my gosh, I have to make the right decision or it's all over. Where am I supposed to live? What job am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say yes to right now? And we think we have to have like this divine divine directive from God, which he can absolutely give. But if he wants to give it to you, you will know because you will be really frightened by the moment when God shows up to do that for you. Otherwise, there is a freedom 
to co-labor with God and understanding the declarations he's made about your life and the passions that he's put inside of your heart and the things that he's created you to care about. And suddenly all of those decisions that have become this unbearable weight upon our shoulders become a a freeing, joyful experience as we co-labor with God to, to say yes to a decision because there are so many unlimited choices and opportunities before us. I was talking to a friend recently who was offered a job. She lives in Atlanta, and she was offered a job in Chicago, and um, she ended up saying no to it. And she was so stressed out because she thought she had made the wrong decision. And as I was talking to her on the phone, God just gave me this beautiful picture. And this was the picture. It was God with his hands out like this. Oh, this is... I hope this is so freeing for you tonight. It was God open-handed before her, like handing her this thing. And what what I saw and what I understood the picture to be was all 10 of those fingers are grace opportunities from God. And what she saw was these open hands when she said no became closed hands and tight fisted. And I said, listen, God has his hands open before you. And you said one, you said no to one of 10 opportunities. And grace means that there are still nine fingers extended for you. And you can say no an unlimited number of times because God is this crazy being who has an unlimited number of fingers. <laughs> you know, like, sure, we might even make the wrong decision sometimes. But, like, grace means that there's no, it's like a magic trick. Like, there's not an end to the number of fingers. And so we get to make those moments worship when we choose in to say, God, who have you made me to be? And what are the passions that you're stirring in my heart? And what are the callings that you have on my life? And what do I want? And finding freedom to take joy in a God who's allowed us to have desires. And seeing those desires as wonderful opportunities to praise him because we have a choice. As we align with God, what once took great effort and focus can become second nature. And we begin to understand what it means for us to live these moments of worship over and over again. And I want to kind of end with this, this idea of evolution. So we've talked about purpose And as we align with our purpose, our lives become worship. I've talked about choices and how we co-labor with God to allow every choice that we encounter, millions of them every day, to become a moment of worship. But I want to talk about how the evolution of our lives is also an act of worship. Our lives become worship when we find peace and rest in the midst of constant change. Your life is a life of constant change. Your life is a life of growth. And if you are growing, you are changing. And I think we as people, for some reason, fear so much the changes that come as the result of being people. But people are meant to grow. And people in relationship are meant to grow. And people in relationship with God are meant to grow. Which means that there is constant change. And in Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 4... It promises that there's a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And as we learn what it means to be people who are in constant change as we grow, we also learn what it means to be people of rest and peace in the midst of that growth and in the midst of that change. And I want to challenge you tonight on this idea that we miss out on the opportunity for constant worship when we think that life has an arrival point. When we think we've arrived, when we think that uh, we've, we've made it all, we'll have a short kind of circumstantial piece, but eventually we'll see a broader picture and become disappointed. And this is like, it's, it's made that way. It's made that way to grow and feel like you've arrived, but suddenly everything becomes shaky ground beneath your feet because you're not meant to stay at your next step of growth. You're meant to keep growing. You're meant to take another step. This is like the idea of reformation. Like every Christian reformation in the history of our faith has thought that it is the ultimate best and final expression of Christianity. But if we are to experience a reformation in our lifetime, let us not be so naive to think that it's the final expression of all that God wants to do, say, or reveal. Let's worship him for what he's revealing to us and how he's showing himself among us, but let's believe that he's a bigger God than our understanding of him. And if we are to experience reformation in our personal lives or as a church or as all of Christendom, let's be humble enough to recognize that we are not the final expression of all it means to be a person or a people of God but that God is continually expressing himself, thereby changing who we understand him to be and therefore radically changing our lives in the process. Because what once was worship can cease to be worship at some point if we're no longer willing to keep walking. And so for me in my life, it's really easy to look around and say, I'm doing that and that thing's hard and that thing's big and that thing's challenging. And God's saying, yeah, Cole, you're taking risks, but are you taking the risks that are actually a risk? Or do you have the illusion of risk in your life? Are you really living a life of faith by raising the stakes in these areas that are a little shaky if you step out on them? Or have you formulated a life that makes it really easy to appear like there's a lot of risk going on, but everything's pretty under wraps? We have to be people who are willing to keep worshiping as we evolve and grow in our faith and in our life. And I want to end with this. Life is a series of plateaus. Expect them. Embrace them. Be okay with them. The choice we get to make is whether we'll settle on one of those plateaus or we'll press on and we'll keep climbing. Abraham had a test of faith when God said to him, I'm going to give you a son. And that was a huge test of faith that eventually became an everyday reality. In fact, maybe it became a nuisance as that little kid woke him up in the middle of the night through loud noises, right? And this thing that was once an act of faith and trusting God and saying, how in the world are you going to do that? Became our, his everyday reality. Well, then God came calling and said, all right, it's time for you to sacrifice your son. 
it's time for you to get a little bit uncomfortable again. It's time for you to trust me. It's time for you to live a life of faith. And here's what that next thing looks like. And he could have stayed on the plateau, but he chose to keep pressing on and he chose to walk into something that was beyond him and the areas that mattered most. And God is inviting all of us into that tonight. God is inviting all of us to be people who continue to allow our lives to be lives of worship by understanding the purposes that he's created us to live out, the calling on his life, the choices he's inviting us into every day in the constant state of growth and change and evolution that causes us to be people who live lives of faith. And that's what it means to live a life of worship that we never settle on the next plateau, but we always understand that there's something else, that our current reality is the platform that God is about to launch us from to cause us to be people of faith again. Close your eyes. And let him speak to you. Let him say something. Let him show you the next step, or at least a glimpse of it.